We've been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. While I started with Joseph, and uh, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob is the one who the nation of Israel is named after because his name was changed to Israel, but we never looked at him. We moved forward from there. We got all the way into the wilderness and we saw, you know, how God used Moses to deliver the people uh, of Israel from uh, Egyptian slavery. And in fact, about the time I was preaching that, uh, Ransom right here was reading that in his Bible at children's camp because he kept showing me all the different passages that he was reading. And so we went through all of that. We got to the point where Israel, uh, all of the older people uh, who wouldn't go in and take the land died off and the younger people who are willing to be obedient to God, went in, fought, took the land. We saw the challenges that were there because they left some people in the land and they left the the, uh, the altars to foreign gods in the land. And we're going to see once we get into the book of Judges, which I was going to do this week, but as I said, uh, I'm going to go back and cover Jacob this week and next week. But once we get into the book of Judges, you're going to see what leaving idols in your life does to you. It's bad, right? It tripped Israel up for hundreds of years. Nonetheless, uh, I thought, you know, we haven't talked about Jacob yet, and he's a really, really important person. In fact, as I said, his name has changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, and that lasts for thousands of years. So let's go back and look at Jacob's story, which is found in Genesis, uh, and uh, we're going to cover a number of passages, but the first one we're going to cover uh, is going to be in Genesis 25, 21 through 26, Uh, So if you've got your own copy of Scripture, you can turn to that there. And those of you that are listening up in the booth up there, you can look up Genesis uh, 25, 21 through 26. All right. So um, we're going to see how Jacob goes from being a manipulator to being a man of God. Do you know anybody that's a manipulator? Anybody like that? Usually when we use that title, manipulator, we're referring to somebody that tries to uh, use people, right? Get people to do what they want people to do. I really don't want to uh, completely apply that to Jacob, but you're going to see in a moment that even his name refers to this. But he did always seek to manipulate things to his best interest. Well, that's kind of us in the natural, isn't it? We're always looking out for our own best interest. In fact, I've told you guys before when we talk about love, that love means acting in the other person's best interest, right? Even though it might be better for you to do something, you might choose to help somebody else, right? So, uh, you know, you might have some food and then you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, you want some? And they say, yeah, okay. And maybe that's all the food that you have. But you're like, you know what? I want to give it to them. All right, so that's a simple example, but that's the difference between self-interest and love, right? Love means acting in the best interest of others. Well, as we're going to see, Jacob uh, was on a long journey. Um, He began as a manipulator, a schemer, a supplanter, 
And it took him many years, but he became God's man. He became a man of God. Or one of the translations or interpretations of the, the name Israel is that it may mean prince of God. Okay? So there's an application to you. How many of you in this room are old? Oh, I love it. You're raising your hand. That's awesome. Rachel, you're not old. If you're old, I'm really old. So no. Yeah, no, you don't get that. It took Jacob a long time to get his stuff straight. He went through a whole lot. He went through a lot of struggles. And we're going to see that. But he eventually, God continued to pull him in and continued to fulfill the promises that he had made to Abraham and Isaac, Jacob's father and grandfather, right? And eventually things came around. So I won't get you to raise your hand on this one, but have you gotten to a place in your life where you feel like, well... All of the opportunities are dried up. I pretty much live my best years. I, I kind of feel sorry for, for professional athletes sometimes. You say, why? They get paid millions of dollars. Yeah, but they peak in their 30s. Dude, my 30s were a long time ago. <laughs> I can't imagine having the best days of your life when you're in your 20s and 30s, and then the rest of your life is just, you know, or just coasting, okay? Now, a lot of those guys, you know, they make a turnaround, and they become somebody... Uh, more and other than they were as an athlete. I think Roger Staubach's a good example of that. You might say, who is that? Well, he was a really, really great quarterback when the Dallas Cowboys were a really, really great team, when they were America's team. And he retired, and, you know, he continued to have a name, and I think he, he had his own real estate company and, you know, did all these other things. But here's the, the deal. As long as God has you here on earth, He's got a purpose for you. You haven't outlived that purpose. Amen? No, you really haven't. You, at every season in your life, God has something for you to do. He has a purpose for you. So, thankfully, uh, Jacob ended up where God wanted him to be. And providentially, God will arrange circumstances so he gets you to the place where he wants you to be. And that's what we see with Jacob. All right, so Jacob's name means supplanter right? Or deceiver. Even as a pre-born baby, he tried to pull his way into first place. It was God's plan for Jacob to become Israel, the primogenitor, that's the first uh, ancestor uh, of whom his people are named, right? So uh, all of Israel is named after him. So let's take a look at that passage that I mentioned earlier. Remember, Isaac is the son of promise and Isaac is Jacob's father. Isaac is Abraham's son, okay? Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered him, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is so, why am I in this condition? So she went on to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Well, these are twins, not not identical twins, but what we call fraternal twins, right? And as we'll see, they were very, very different than each other. They looked different. They acted different. They were just like two brothers, but they were born at almost the same time, okay? And the older will serve the younger. When her days leading to the delivery were at an end, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now, the first to come out was red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. 
Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So this is a preborn baby, and the first one's coming out, and he's already trying to pull his way into first, right? But that's why they called him Jacob. In Hebrew, it is the, the name is Yachakov, and uh, it, it has come to be a very popular name and a good name. Uh, many people have this name, uh, the Wilsons. First son is named Jacob, and he seems to be a pretty good character. I don't think that he would uh, be a supplanter in any way, but that's what the origin of the name is, okay? Uh, he came out holding Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob, and then it says, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. See, it's never too late. All right. <laughs> I don't want to have kids. I'm 60 right now. That just makes me exhausted. I like them. I like y'all. You're wonderful. I, I, you are. But man, it's a, gosh, y'all, parents, it's a big job. So application for this, you have strengths and weaknesses. You know that, right? Some of those strengths and weaknesses aren't something that you worked for. That's just the way you are. Some of us have physical challenges, health challenges. Uh, some of us have emotional challenges, psychological challenges. Uh, you know, some of us have relational challenges. And, you know, again, parents, you know, you watch your children from the time they're little and they're different than each other, aren't they? I was, I made the comment to Craig, Rachel, the other day, um, after karate. It wasn't last week because we, I felt terrible, so I didn't do karate last week. Um, but I, I'm, you know, watching, Shiloh and Asher, and if I didn't know they were brothers, I wouldn't know they were their brothers. They are so different than each other, okay? These two are different than each other, all right? This little guy is super quiet, at least around me, maybe not at home, okay? This guy right here is super inquisitive, all right? So they're different. We're different than one another, but we have strengths and we have weaknesses. All of us do. And, you know, there are strengths and weaknesses that we have that we are simply born with. And that is what we see with Jacob and Esau. Further, each of us has a calling and a destiny, a purpose. However, we've got to choose to believe and to cooperate with our creator who made us and who calls us into that purpose. Listen, God's going to get his will done. He'll get his will done with you and through you, or he'll get his will done around you. You don't want to get in the road when God's moving, okay? It's like the parade. You sit on the side where the parade's going by, you're going to enjoy it. If you try to stand in the middle, you're going to get run over. Now, granted, we're not going very fast, but still, God has a purpose. God has a will, and people can choose to oppose that will. That's what you're here for. You're here to choose to cooperate with God with the gifts that you have, you have strengths and weaknesses. The Apostle Paul had uh, some, it seems like a, a physical challenge. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to take it away. You know, some uh, people believe that that was his eyesight. Um, when he met Jesus, Jesus appeared as a blinding light on his road to Damascus. And some commentators believe that Paul struggled with his eyesight from that point on. And so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, which we're in 2 Corinthians now on Wednesday, so we'll get there eventually. He says he prayed three times for the Lord to take this away from him. You know, this, this weakness, this challenge. Now, it could have been something else as well, right? 
you know, it could have been some sort of a, a temptation that he encountered, some other kind of struggle, but it was something that he just really labored with. And it was bothersome for him. You know, maybe you have physical challenges. You know, again, maybe there are things that crop up in your life and you just have asked God and asked God to take it away and he won't take it away. As I said a couple of weeks ago, God leaves those things in our life so we'll learn how to fight. Okay, that's what he did with Israel. They chose to leave idols up, to leave altars to foreign gods up. That was their bad. But God chose to leave people in the land for them to fight. And it says in Judges, so that they, the children would learn warfare. We're gonna, we, we need to fight our whole lives. And by the way, that is one of the meanings of the name that Jacob, uh, received from the Lord. And we'll look at it next week. But Israel can mean the Lord fights. Or he who fights with the Lord. Do you fight with the Lord? Hmm. Nobody wants to admit that, right? Um, we've got to choose to believe in and cooperate with the Lord. And our lives are just going to go better. That doesn't mean you won't have weaknesses. The, the Apostle Paul said, I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away and he wouldn't. And then Jesus says this to the Apostle Paul. And I think this is for us. They're struggling with these various weaknesses. Okay. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, whatever your weakness is, if you surrender it to the Lord and you continue to struggle with the Lord, then his grace will be enough and his power will be perfected in and through your weakness. So you don't have to be a perfect person but you have to surrender yourself to the God who wants to perfect you. Amen? All right. Next, Jacob and Esau, as I mentioned earlier, were very different. In fact, they were as different as night and day. Esau was an outdoorsman, and he was a good hunter. His father loved him best. Jacob was more refined or cultured, and he liked to remain indoors, and his mother favored him. So, you know, if we were sounding judgmental, we would say Jacob was a mama's boy. Hey, man, it's not bad to be a mama's boy. It's okay. You can love your mama. It's good. All right. Here's the verse for that. This is Genesis 25, 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful, a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a civilized, or the word can be translated refined man, living in tents. So, there's a lot of ways to interpret this and, and understand this, but I think that it can teach us something today when we have these assumptions, particularly about masculinity and femininity. And we have people that think, well, you know, I physically was born this way, but I think I'm actually this way. I think what's going on is that we're superimposing cultural standards and norms for masculinity and femininity. And rather than realizing that people are just different, okay, if you're a boy and you like pink, that doesn't mean you're a girl. There's nothing inherently uh, feminine about pink. It, just because you're a girl and you like blue doesn't mean you're a boy. There's nothing inherently masculine about blue. There are just a lot of, you know, boys that like blue. I like blue. I like blue a lot. There are a lot of girls that like pink. But you know what? When I was in college, it was cool for dudes to wear pink shirts. I had a pink eyes on shirt. And I wore my khaki pants and my pink eyes on. And I popped the collar because it was the 80s. 
all right? And that was cool, okay? Now, my dad, actually, he's my stepdad. He was the oh, oh, man's man, right? And he would make, you know, subtle comments about my hair and about my clothes. and Because long hair was very popular when I was in high school. And all of us, and I do mean virtually all of us, parted our hair in the middle and feathered it on the sides. I don't know what you think of that, but I'm just going to tell you, you need to look at pictures of people from my era from about 1975 all the way until early 80s when hair got shorter again, and that was it. And nobody had beards. Not, well, my age, you can grow one anyway, so. But what I'm trying to help you to understand is that we have these, these certain ideas or, or expectations or norms, and we superimpose those on these kids, and now the kids are going, well, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I'm this or maybe I'm that. Or maybe we just need to stop superimposing those norms. A woman might like to hunt or play sports. A man might like to cook or decorate his house. A boy might be more like his mom. A girl might be more like her dad, right? Um, yeah, you just look at your kids and you can see qualities and characteristics. Just because the majority of men or women do something doesn't mean that's what everyone that is that gender should do. We shouldn't confuse individual differences with gender dysphoria. I'm just saying, Jacob, and we're going to see later, uh, Jacob was, he called himself a smooth man. He didn't have a lot of body hair, right? And we've already heard when Esau came out, he looked like a red rug, essentially, in fact, later in his life, they called him Edom, which is a word that means red. They just called him red. I mean, I, I think of this guy, and he's just like the, the stereotype of the, the man's man, outdoorsman, hunter, right? Um, just kind of crass and crude and, you know, spits and does whatever, you know? And Jacob is like, no, no, back away, brother. I do not know what your problem is. Now, I don't know that Jacob had an English accent, but that just sounds refined to me. Nisa's like, what are you talking about? And I don't know that he had a you know, southern accent or whatever, but yeah, again, I'm just stereotypes, all right? So Esau ended up trading his birthright for a bowl of stew. This is a really interesting story that helps us understand the characteristic or quality uh, of personality we're dealing with when we're dealing with Esau, okay? Uh, the birthright was important. Even though they're twins, Esau came out first. That means he would have been considered the firstborn. That means he gets the majority of his father's inheritance. He gets more inheritance than his brother because he's technically the firstborn, right? Um, Jacob knew this because his mother probably related the prophecy that she received from the Lord when these two twins were struggling in her womb, that the older will serve, or that the younger will, excuse me, the older will serve the younger, okay? And so he kind of decides that he's going to take things into his own hand and make that happen, Right? Jacob knew the significance of being the firstborn and sought to supplant. That's what Jacob means, supplanter, put his brother beneath him, his brother. Providentially, God had already decided to make Jacob's descendants greater than Esau's. And here's the passage of scripture for that. This is Genesis 25, 29 through 34, and this is the New American Standard Bible. 
When Jacob had cooked a stew one day, see, Jacob's a cook. He's indoors. He's refined. He's like, I ain't going out there. You hunt, I'll cook. That's what I want to do. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, please, let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there, for I'm exhausted. That's exactly what he said. You call it red stuff. He's real refined. This is a civilized dude. He doesn't even know the name of the stew. He's like, that red stuff smells good. Give me some of it. So, therefore, he was called Edom. There's the, the name that means red by name. But Jacob said, first, first brother, sell me your birthright. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So of what use then is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and went on his way. And then it says something very telling. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, whether he thought that's never going to happen, I'll give him a, you know, an oath, whatever. It's, it's not going to happen. Or whether he just didn't care. He's like, I'm hungry. What's a birthright going to do me? You know, what good is that going to do me? Okay. Application for us. Realize what is important in life and what is not. These are decisions you've got to make every day. You can let what is demanding get all of your time and attention so that you never do what's important. You remember years ago, there was a, a book that was written uh, on organizing your life, organizing your time, right? It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Has anybody ever heard of this book? By Stephen Covey. Highly recommend it. I know it was written a long time ago, but I highly recommend it. And one of the, the main ideas in this book was that you need to discern, to recognize what is important versus what is urgent. Now, I'm going to help you with time management here. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to divide this sermon into two, so you're okay, and I'm going to let you go, all right? But what I want you to, to see that there are uh, four categories in your life of things that, that you've got to manage, okay? And we're going to call uh, one category things that are urgent and important. So, uh, we've been praying for Shiloh. He was sick earlier this week, and he's overcoming it. Um, apparently, he had strep. That's urgent and important, okay? They got to get him to the doctor. They got to get him some uh, antibiotics, right? And they got to make sure that he gets well. Urgent and important, okay? But then there are some things that are just urgent. Kids are all about urgent. Everything's urgent, Okay, things aren't, you know, the, uh, the, the Xbox turned off and they can't figure out how to get it back on and they were right in the middle of a video game and they're screaming, help, get in here, I got it, I was winning. And, uh, uh. That's not important. They're making it urgent. It's important to them, but if they understood life, they would realize, no, it's really not important. But there are all sorts of urgent things, right? Inevitably. I'll, I'll be doing something like this and, you know, randomly somebody will text me. Why? Why? You, you know that I preach on Sunday morning. Why are you texting me right now? But it's urgent. It's, I have to do it right now. It's just, you know, I got So just understand this. If you call and it goes straight to voicemail, all right, leave a message. Because I'm not, if I don't answer, it's because I can't answer, 
right? And I'm old, so I really do check my messages. Now, I know some of you are like, I haven't checked my messages since 2006, you know? Just text me. I don't know what that is. I have voicemail. What is that? Hey, man, I, my app transcribes the voicemail so I can look at it like it. Just leave a, you know, a voicemail. Just say, hey, can you call me back? This is this, right? And then I can discern whether it's urgent or important. But when I'm right in the middle of working out at the gym or whatever, I, if it's urgent, then I'm going to quit working out and I'm going to attend to your needs, okay? But if you just needed to ask me what time we're going to meet for the Labor Day parade because you didn't show up on Sunday and you didn't come to the meeting, okay, send me a text or something. I'm trying to say there are plenty of things that are urgent but not important, and they get a lot of our time, all right? Then there are things that are neither urgent nor important. They're not urgent. They're not important. They're just time wasters. Do you play solitaire? Do you play video games? Stuff that just wastes time, okay? Now, you need downtime. We're, we're about to observe Labor Day, where we celebrate the fact that y'all work hard. You need to have times of rest to decompress, to turn off, to tune out. But see, if that starts invading all of your time, then you don't have time to do the things that are really important. And that's the last thing we're going to come to. There are things that are urgent and important. They will get your attention and you'll get them done. There are things that are urgent, but not important. You need to learn to tune those out and say, you know what? Somebody's making this urgent but your lack of planning does not constitute an emergency on my part. So I'm not creating an emergency. And then there are things that are down here that are just not important or urgent or just time wasters and wasting time. But here's what I want to get to. There are things that are important, but they're not urgent. Do you want to know if you're going to be a success in life? It's how you attend to those. That's planning. That's preparation. Students, that's studying. Well, you know, I can put it off. That's writing a paper. Yeah, I'll do that later. You want a confession from me? I'm actually pretty smart. I, I really am. It's grades are easy for me. Like I can take a test and I haven't even studied for it and I'll get a good grade on it. In fact, I can take a test in something I've never studied and get a good grade on it because I didn't just know how to take tests. You know what that is? It's a handicap because I'm also lazy. Every paper I ever turned in in college, this is sad, but it's true. And this, my GPA reflects this. Every paper I ever turned in in college, I turned in late. Because I always pushed it to the last minute to get down and do all of the preparation and, and the studying and everything. It would be like, oh my gosh, that thing is due. And so I'd be just writing a paper all night long and just stay. That's how I really got addicted to coffee It's just drinking coffee all night long. And, you know, actually, when I first started writing papers, we actually wrote them I, seriously by hand. And then, you know, typewriter, old school typewriter. But those are the sorts of things that are important, but they're not urgent. Now, that's just one example. I don't have time to give all the examples in your life. But you need to realize what is important in life, and you need to attend to that. So in Esau's situation, there was something that was urgent to him. My goodness, he's hungry. I'm hungry. But he didn't realize what was important, which was his birthright, which is going to give him a higher stake at the end of his life. He didn't care about the end of his life. He didn't pay any attention to that, Okay. Hunger and other needs and desires that drive us are only temporary. Hunger 
and all of these different drives that we have. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath, wrath, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then further down in the passage, that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, which is uh, in the middle of the, the Sermon on the Mount. A little further down, Jesus says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Esau didn't care and didn't recognize that. Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? The answer to that is yes, you are more important. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not labor, nor do they spin thread. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory uh, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, here's what you need to get. This is what Esau didn't get. But seek first, what am I going to say? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. And then Jesus closes it out by saying, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you don't know how you're going to pay the bills next month? Trust God, do your best, and don't worry about it because worrying won't pay the bills. Amen? It'll just give you an ulcer and cause all kinds of other health problems, right? Don't throw, the other thing is, don't throw away the gifts or the privileges that you have, right? Use everything to the glory of God and to the good of others. Um, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. There is much being said today about privilege, certain privilege, okay? Is there white privilege? Somebody didn't give me that one, so I don't know, okay? But if you have a privilege, your privilege is to be used to glorify God and serve other people, amen? If I have a bunch of money, I'm not going to just go spend it all on myself. I'm not going to go throw it away. I'm not going to give it away to people who are not going to properly use it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use it to extend the kingdom of God and to help people who are genuinely in need. And I'm going to be a trustworthy steward. So what are your gifts? Okay. You know, I go over this again and again because every Sunday we are blessed um, by hearing this wonderful band play and these ladies with their beautiful voices. Um, these are gifts that they have and they're using them to glorify God. Amen. And to bless you. You know, th there are plenty of singers who got their start in church. And some of them continue to, you know, glorify God, sing in church and so forth on occasion. But some of them, man, their lives just get ruined because they become the idol, okay? They become the center of attention. And we were just never intended to be that. You need to give God your first and your best at all times, right? Now, 
for you and I in this room who don't have a lot, we want that because we want to secure the blessing of God so that he will continue to provide for us. But if you're rich, hey, if you're watching this and you're rich, tithe to Lifewell Church, I promise we will spend it wisely. I will still drive the same vehicle. I'm not going to go buy a million-dollar house. We just want to pay the bills, all right? No, if you're rich, then you want to continue to give God the first and the best because that's who he is. He's the one that deserves that. Esau didn't care. He was born privileged. He was the stronger guy. He was the tough guy. He could hunt. He had his daddy's favor. He was first born. He was going to get it, and he didn't care. Man, if you've got some sort of a privilege, use it to honor God. If you've got a gift, a talent, something that you can do, use it to glorify and honor God. Okay? Um, you see Elijah up here doing everything in the world. Okay? Elijah Nelson. Um, he was here early this morning running a brand new, it's called a snake. I know that sounds satanic, but it's not. Right? And he was here early this morning running this whole thing and, you know, getting this. And, and I was noticing the sound today. Man, it just sounds, the dude can do everything. He plays like 19 instruments and does all this tech and whatever. He's taking this skill, this ability, this, this, these gifts and, and this learning that he has to serve the Lord. So not everything is visible to you on stage. Typically he plays bass and he's like a typical bass player. He's just low key back there in the bank, just chilling, looking like Jesus with that hair and that beard. It's like, you know, wondering why he didn't cast on, get cast on the chosen that, you know, that series. All right. All right. So now uh, I'm going to conclude our message there. And hopefully there's plenty of application that you can uh, you can look for this week. And we're going to look at Jacob's life further next week. And we're going to see the transition from Jacob, the manipulator. You've already seen how he's manipulated his brother and gotten his birthright, stolen his birthright, schemed out of his. He didn't really steal it. He just schemed and and took, he was an opportunist, okay? He knew that his brother was not going to understand the significance of it, and he just took advantage of that, right? So we're going to see how he goes from being a schemer to being someone that serves God and serves God well, from being a manipulator to being a man of God, and we'll look at that next week. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask the band to come up and do one more song. Father, thank you so much for this, uh, for this example in your word. Thank you that you preserved your word for us and these things happened to these people, to Jacob and Esau and all of these other patriarchs. They happened to them as examples for us. And these things were written down and preserved for us to learn upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So I pray that we have and will learn in Jesus' name.